0: The people i'm talking to can afford to pay 25k i don't want to be talking to people who can afford to pay 25k before even we jump on the call i already shown them my rate card so they have an idea of my pricing they have an idea of how much i charge so by the time we jump on the call it's for me to upsell them so when i say this is what it's going to cost to be the topic cluster find this is what it's going to cost to to They're not blinking because they have the budget for that. So that's the difference between working with small businesses who balk when they hear high prices and working with brands that can afford to pay that much for your service.
1: This episode is brought to you by Freemius. If you're stuck growing your WordPress product business, it's time to level up to Freemius. Freemius is a complete platform for WordPress product owners to sell, grow, and build a completely sustainable software business. You probably already know how competitive the WordPress ecosystem is these days. Building it and waiting for your customer is not an option. Freemius knows how hard it is for WordPress product founders to grow their business. They've developed the tools, the software, and most importantly, the content plus the community to help you get more sales. With a team of monetization experts, you're picking Freemius for success, not just for your product license keys and updates. If you need help growing your WordPress business, visit freemius.com. That's freemius.com. Dot com. Thanks for supporting the show. This episode is brought to you by Accessibility Checker Pro Plugin. Save 10% on your purchase using code MATREPORT at equalizedigital.com. If you're developing WordPress websites, chances are you know how important website accessibility is. But if you're like me, you don't know where to begin or you don't know if you have all of the most up-to-date standards in your tool belt. Equalize Digital has created Accessibility Checker plugin, which you can download for free in the WordPress repo. It'll help you get a bird's eye view of how you can improve the accessibility of a website you're working on. Upgrade to Accessibility Checker Pro for WooCommerce support, custom post types, centralized logging, and more. Download Accessibility Checker for free or visit EqualizedDigital.com for more information on the Pro version and use the code MATREPORT to save 10% off Accessibility Checker Pro at EqualizedDigital.com. There's an entire industry built on selling you the holy grail of raising your rates. Courses, memberships, ebooks, videos, all assuring that the $10,000 project is just a click away. Why wouldn't you believe them? They're on the gram throwing $100 bills off of boats and speeding away in Lambos. Uh, to be fair, I haven't seen a Lambo video in some time, but the ones that get me the most these days are the ones that are holding up an iPhone in selfie mode with AirPods and a cleverly placed whiteboard in the background. How about grit and persistence? Patience and confidence? How about going through the paces, enough to uncover your self-worth and simply raising your rates? That's exactly what Chima Meje did, plus a whole lot more. I read her blog post the year I learned Audacity and instantly DM'd her to ask if she'd be willing to share her story here. Luckily for you and I, she said yes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it on social media and support the show by buying me a digital coffee for as little as $5 or whatever you think the show is worth at buymeacoffee.com slash matreport Okay, on to the show with Chima. Yeah, um,
0: that's the, the pandemic has had, like, its bad side and its good side. Like, I think, I remember by, 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 um, March 2020, 2020, I had a good month. I was on the verge of, like, moving up, signing more deals. And then in the next blink, by the start of April, I'd lost all those clients, every single one of them. And it was due to one reason. They couldn't stay afloat. They got affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. But at the same time, I was seeing other freelancers on twitter on linkedin on facebook who were talking about still clocking 10k 20k doing great numbers in the middle of the pandemic staying busy and that was when it hit me these guys are earning good money people were moving jobs it was like a two-faced two-sided thing just as some of us who are working with small businesses were badly affected those who were working with larger brands had no impact, zero impact. Life went on as normal for them in regards to their earnings. And that was when I realized that if I want to make more money and not be having those situations where I lose income, that was when I realized that if I wanted to make more money, then I needed, to, I, needed to making, I needed to be working with larger companies, companies that will not be affected when there's a pandemic because their revenue is huge, they already have an established audience, and pandemic or not, people are still going to need their products. That was also the same period that I decided, okay, if I'm going to be charging more money, then I need to, be, the brands that I want to be working with are SaaS companies because SaaS companies are well-funded. Even in the middle of the pandemic, they were still raising funds, they were still hiring, they were still working with freelancers because people were still buying SaaS tools. It's remote. You don't need to go anywhere for that. So. That was what made me decide, okay, this is what I'm going to do, work with larger brands, but more specifically, work with SaaS companies because it's a remote-based ba- remote um, thing.
1: And, and you were working with the smaller client was, or the smaller brand. Was it like the restaurant, the travel industry?
0: So- no, no, no. S- smaller clients, mostly like marketing agencies, one-man business. Um, and when I see marketing agencies, I use the term loosely. Mostly, these marketing agencies offer like cheap content, cheap SEO, basically cheap services for smaller businesses that can't afford to pay a lot of money. So they're probably charging two, three K a month and had to like really micromanage that phone to make sure that they were getting like impact for their clients. So those are the kind of business I was working. It was basically Chrome to table.
1: Yeah. Um. You say that your rates went up immediately to reflect my new status uh, as a specialist. I went from charging 200 to 600 as a minimum price for content. Did you make that decision? Like when you said, okay, now I'm going to go from these, these customers that can't survive in this pandemic situation. I'm going to go with this SaaS-based approach because it looks like they're raising money. They need content. And now, because I'm going to those bigger brands, I'm immediately going to raise that price. Or did you kind of learn? Okay, after the first few SaaS people, (laughs) I guess I should be charging more.
0: No, that's the thing. I think people have like a math, or will I say like a science to how they raise their rates. I don't. I I have never had that. I just raise my rates what I think I should be charging at that point in time. So, if you're a specialist, I think once you become a specialist then you need to be charging more to reflect that status because price is also, price should be on par with your skill level. If you're charging 200, then nobody's going to think that you're a specialist. They're going to see you as a generalizer. They're not going to think that you're good enough. They're going to think, oh, this is someone who is still coming up because there is no person on planet Earth who is an excellent writer that is charging 200 for content. Because one, it shows you're not confident. Two, it shows you don't know your words. And three, it's going to reflect in the copy. You can always see the difference between those who are charging a lot more money for content from those who are charging bare minimum for content. There's always a stark clarity, stark difference in the quality of the work. So the price I was charging didn't reflect that. That was basically it.
1: Yeah. You know, my day job at Castos, we have a production uh, side for for podcasting. And, you know, we've been doing it now for uh, well before I started. But so for five or six years now, Casos uh, has had this production arm. And, you know, we've been growing. We've been raising funds. We've, we've brought on a sales team. And, and we're still sort of offering like that legacy pricing. Like we're really good, but we're offering like pricing that was designed three, four years ago uh, with the founder uh, when he launched the production side. And now our sales guys are running up against... Sort of like what you're saying. They start talking to a customer, and they say, "Boy, that's yeah. It's only it's only a thousand dollars to do that. Like, can you really do it?" And like, "No, no, we really can." And if they almost it's like the customer needs to hear that it's five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, and they go, "Okay, these people get it, and we do." And now we just have to align our pricing with that. And sometimes at that, that low end, the customer is is you know the customer that has the money is like, "Nah, I don't really trust you because it sounds too cheap."
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. Because if you think about if I, when I think about all really good content writers, some of them are charging a dollar per word, two dollars per word, some are even charging up to five dollars per word for content writing. And if I was a hiring manager, the immediate conscious thought would be that this person who is charging two dollars per word is probably better than the person who is charging one dollar per word. So by the time I was looking at their content, there's already bias because I'm thinking, oh, if this person has the confidence and the gusto to be charging two dollar per hour, then there's got to be massive quality in the content that gives them the confidence to charge that much for their work.
1: Yeah, uh, let me just let's just sidestep all these amazing quotes that I have from your, from your articles. Let's sidestep for a second. If if there is a copywriter in the crowd, and I guarantee there is, because there's a lot of folks uh, in the WordPress space that do WordPress blogs, uh, they cover development, they cover design, they cover plugins, they cover WordPress news, et cetera, et cetera. How, how should one first start out pricing copywriting work? Is it per hour, per word, like you said? No, per project? never,
0: never. I think always always price per projects because per word, per hour, it's kind of like commoditizing the work you're doing. And that's not an approach I ever want anybody to take. That is um, it's it's like it's like it's like going to the doctor and saying, hey, um, how many hours is it going to take you to 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 take a look at this problem that I have, and then bill me per hour for that. That that that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You charge per project because that's the quality you're delivering. So you have you have a you have a range, which is what I like to work in. Work in ranges. It can be 1,000 to 1,400 words, 1,000 to 1,500 words. So that it gives you space not to be writing within a precise word count. And then you're trying to like, just get everything in there. You You have space to write the best content possible for that range. And then you charge per project for that, not per word. Because per word kind of like forces you to write according to that word count, or forces you to fill up that word count, whether it needs to get there or not. And then per hour, might It gives you the temptation to want to stretch out the work for longer hours, whether it needs to or not. Or when you need more time, you don't have that time because maybe the the hiring manager has a specific number of hours that they can only allocate for that work. And then the work is not up to quality. So the only way to guarantee quality is to charge per project.
1: And piggybacking off off of that. Uh, just trying to draw parallels to, let's say, uh, web designers, web developers. A big thing in this space is, hey, don't just build the website. Uh, you have to also sell them on, sell your client on a, on a maintenance package because it's recurring revenue. It's money that still comes in. And, and by the way, the customer needs it. It's not like you're selling them something they don't need because nine times out of 10, the folks that you're selling to, they don't know what the heck they're going to do with this WordPress website. Uh, and so you'll be there to support them, et cetera. Same thing in podcasting. We t- you know customer comes to me and they say, hey, I want to do a show. And it's like, well, how many episodes? And they say, well, as little as I, you know, as little as I possibly, you know, have to do. And it's like, well, with podcasting, you gotta, you gotta keep this thing going. Like you have to at least try, you know, a dozen to 20 episodes and give it a good shot. Is that the same in your world too, where a customer comes to you and they say, can you do like one or two blog posts and you and you turn to them and, and say, listen, one or two is not going to get you anywhere. You need to do at least once a month for a year or two years, whatever.
0: Yeah, hey, you're basically just outlining my process for sales calls because this is what happens on sales calls. Yeah, like it's that's the thing. people most this usually happens when someone maybe has a limited budget or they are not sure what they should be budgeting for that service. So they assume oh I'm going to do the bare minimum which is maybe one or two blog posts a month just to keep the google gods happy. And then I'm telling them you can't rank for that keyword you're going after with one or two pieces of content. You need to build out a cluster so that there's kind of like the relationship showing between each of those content pieces. So I'm selling them on the cluster package which is like the content strategy for that keyword. I build that out they pay for it and then i'm also selling them on getting me to write the content pieces in the cluster so that is like minimum maybe 20 to 25k for that package or if they just want me to do the click the, the, um, the cluster alone now i'm charging four or five for that so however that goes i want to get them to not just think one or two pieces of content to rank for a keyword because that's unrealistic i want to get them to think Multiple content pieces to rank for one keyword and then move on to the next keyword and then keep creating content pieces using that cluster strategy. So you don't have content that is isolated. So that's always the sell. Get them on bigger packages and get them thinking holistically instead of thinking small mindedly. Right.
1: And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, it's just that's the best approach, (laughs) you know? Yes. And and sometimes, yes. Yes. and, And this, transcends across, uh, again, like as I just framed it, it transcends across this content marketing and content creation. It transcends against your design and your development. Like offer the best solution for your customer first, even if it's the highest price and you're nervous about it. This is a fantastic way to, and I'm leading into this quote that I love that you said, 90% of freelancing is standing up for yourself. The other 10% is spent on doing the work. Uh, As a Nigerian woman who grew up with survival-first mindset, learning to say no was pivotal to changing my mindset. Um, You go on to talk about how pricing was the hardest. I think we just chatted about that. But that confidence factor as like maybe you said 90% of freelancing is standing up for yourself. That is tremendous (laughs) in freelancing and in sales, which I've grown up in. Sales is about confidence, not being an asshole, (laughs) not being... (laughs) a jerk about it right but it's just like i am confident in the solution that i have for you mrs customer Mm -hmm. this is the best Mm -hmm. solution it's twenty five thousand dollars, and then they go oh my god i don't want to pay that much money and then you
0: see that's the difference that's the difference matt the people i'm talking to can afford to pay 25k i don't want to be talking to people who can afford to pay 25k before even we jump on the call i already shown them my rate card so they have an idea of my pricing They have an idea of how much I charge. So by the time we jump on the call, it's for me to upsell them. So when I say this is what it's going to cost to build a topic cluster, fine. This is what it's going to cost to to execute it. They're not blinking because they have the budget for that. So that's the difference between working with small businesses who balk when they hear high prices and working with brands that can afford to pay that much for your service.
1: Right, right. And they're better customers in the end.
0: Yeah, I mean they they Definitely. just respect everything Definitely. that you have going on. Definitely, always, always. The customers who are the shittiest are the ones who pay the least. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that's the. And, but it's honestly, it's like where we all start because, again, going back to ninety percent of freelancing is standing up for yourself or having the confidence in it. You come from a place where you know you, you're starting out. You don't. You're afraid to charge for money, and I've seen this go across many different spectrums. It's not just us in the online world. I mentor a lot of local small businesses who are starting out. I mean they could be florists, they could be bakeries, and they're everyone, everyone starting out is afraid to charge. And we just have to break through that.
0: Definitely, because until you do, you're just going to be down there in the trenches. You're never going to come out.
1: Let's um, let's talk about how you continue to grow the business. You had a bullet point. Again, this blog post that you wrote will be linked up in the show notes. So listener, please click it, read the rest of it. I'm just pulling out snippets that I thought were tremendous. Um, the whole thing is tremendous. But you say, here's the thing. You can't go into, and this is about uh, building referrals, and I want to take a moment to talk about building referrals. You say, but here's the thing. You can't go into relationship building with the mindset of this person could generate leads for me tomorrow. It took a while, but I soon learned that being authentic is the best thing I could do for myself and my brand. Um, referrals. A lot of us forget to, to ask our existing customers, hey, know somebody else that might be uh, interested in my services? How do you go about approaching uh, referrals for you?
0: Yeah, I don't even get ref- okay. I don't, I don't think for me, it's always uncomfortable to be asking my, my clients for referrals or even asking people for referrals. So I always like when it's organic, when it's people sending those referrals my way because I think those are the best kind. And then the first thing to building that kind of referral network is to build authority. And you can build authority on social media because that's where people spend a lot of time. Twitter, linkedin and facebook for me because that's where most of my audience hang out so by sharing content i'm i am i i build in, i build in public so when i'm working on something a project i'm always telling i'm always sharing the process i'm always sharing what i've done i'm always sharing the results so people can see step by step by step this is how chima started this project this is how chima achieved these results and this is what it led to for the clients so doing that is building authority. And when people can see those results clearly, it's easier for them to see you as an authority. It's easier for them to see that you deliver results for clients, which means it's going to be easier for them to refer clients your way. So the people that I'm building that, those relationships with are my peers, other copywriters, content writers, people in SEO, because they tend to have work that is not useful for them. Like conversion copywriters, they don't write SEO content. Uh, Maybe direct response copywriters, people who do tech SEO, they can send us work my way. And then in return, when I have leads that are not a good fit, I can also send it to them. Same thing with SaaS, um, people who work in SaaS companies in-house. Sometimes people reach out to them and say, hey, do you freelance? I like what you're doing. And they say, no, I don't freelance, but I know someone who does and she's really good. And then they can send them my way. So those are the kind of those are the kind you have to be very strategic with the people you connect with on social media. For me, I'm always trying to connect with content marketers, content managers, um, SEO marketers, other freelancers, other copywriters. So it depends on what you do. If you're a developer, you'll be building relationship with other developers who will be hiring you. That's the mindset you need to be thinking and then you need to be connecting with them and building content that they find valuable. The information you're sharing should be so valuable that they can go and implement it on their own so that if they can implement it on their own and they, they can say, oh, look at the stuff she's giving out or he's giving out for free. Look at how useful it is. Then imagine what they would do for me if I hired them. So that's how I built my referral network, building authority. And then sometimes after a while of engaging with people on social media, I would go into their inbox and I would just chat with them, say hi. It's just to get that personal connection going because people become loyal to you in a way, once they know you personally, and then they're more likely to send leads your way. You'll notice I was doing this chatty thing where I used to jump on calls with people that I really admired, just speak with them for like 30 minutes, get to know their personal. It wasn't about business, was just just trying to get people just trying to get to know people during the pandemic but in a way it kind of cemented my my person in their mind so that when they head someone was looking for an SEO content writer a content strategist I was the first person they were thinking of because they know me personally so it's that personal connection that leads to referrals
1: yeah. is any of your work uh uh like I, mean, I, I don't i don't want to say this and cheapen the work that you do but i i imagine like if you wrote a blog post for a client is it you as the author and does people do people see-
0: no mostly it's always it's always it's always ghost oh, okay. it's always ghost written. yeah there are very few of my stuff that I'm under my name maybe the stuff i did for SEM rush but most of everything else is ghost because we're trying to build authority for the SaaS founders Make them seem like people who are knowledgeable about their industry. So it's always best to publish in the name of the SaaS founder or in the name of someone who works at the Got company. It.
1: Got it. That makes sense. Then you'd have that'd be awesome if you could <laughs> if you could also like put your name on it too. And you'd get like you you'd get paid for it and you're in advertising for it. That, that's kind of cool. Um I want to talk about recurring revenue as as somebody who is uh, creating content for folks. Uh, pulling another quote here. You created a course. It said, I started small, selling at 300 to 500 And then within a few months, I raised the price on 1000 to 1500 for this course. I mean, this could be a whole topic to itself. Um, how did you come up with the idea of creating the course? What is the course? And how is that going yeah, now? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. How is that going now? Yeah. Um, I, I was invited to speak at, um, I think, so um, SEO Summit last year, beginning of last year. And then I was creating the slides and I, I just realized that i was giving too much away for free way too much like the information was just too good way too valuable to be given for free and so i put it out on social on facebook that oh i've got this presentation i'm doing but i feel like i'm giving too much away for free what do i do with it and people advised me to put some of it in the course and then put the rest in the summit as a way to build momentum, get some feedback and use that as testimonials. So that's what I did. I presented the um, first 20 minutes of the presentation for the the SEO summit and then the rest of it, I built them out into models for my course and then I got feedback from people who watched the presentation and I used that as the initial testimonials for the course. That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. And is that, how do you balance, so a lot of folks in our, in our audience here, um, they're WordPress product makers. So they're selling a theme, they're selling a plugin. And there's always this and there, you know, they're one or two person shop or just a solo person. And there's always this balance between how much time do I spend making the product and marketing it? Um, I, I imagine your world marketing is a little bit easier for the developers out there. But how do you balance that time? How do you improve the course market the course at the same time?
0: Honestly, I I don't really spend a lot of time marketing it. I'm very lazy. It's it's kind of like do it, create it, leave it there. People buy it, cool. And then every couple of months or, yeah, every couple of months, as I learn something new working on a project, I track the results. And if I see that, yes, it's leading to some really, really great results, I add that as an update to the course. So over the course, between last year and now, I think I've added about four updates to the course in total, because that's the thing with SEO and content. There's always something new coming up. There's always something new to learn. With every project I'm doing, there's always something new. So I'm always learning stuff that can be helpful to those who have bought the course so that they can be getting continuous value out of it. Uh,
1: Before we start recording, you mentioned um, as I ask all uh, of my guests, hey, or a major call to action something that you want to share, of course, zenithcopy.com. But you said that you're doing some work uh, at freelancecoalition.org. That's freelancecoalition.org. I imagine they take any kind of freelancer or does it have to be?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, it has to be BIPOC. What we do is that there are a lot of people living in developing countries who are freelancers, who are working in-house, but they're only charging for their services because they've been told by people, white people specifically, that they're not good enough. If you live in a developing country, you shouldn't be charging a hundred dollars or $200 for your work. Um, they've just been put down to the extent that they think that peanuts is all they deserve. So they're scrapping the table for the bare minimum. They're working weekends. They're basically just overworked and it's all boils down to two things. L- lack of confidence and lack of skills that would empower them to charge for their work. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to close the skill gap by providing free courses. We partner with a ton of people who have courses, people who have courses come in and donate, and donate scholarship or sports to their courses for membership, for members in the coalition. And then we also provide mentorship. We do, we do mentorship cohorts where we pair people with mentors. In the industry who can help them upskill close skill gap and then just help them build up their confidence so that they can start charging their words because sometimes someone is already up there in terms of skill level but they just need someone to tell them this thing you're doing is good enough you should be charging more for this this is how much i charge if i'm charging this much you can't be charging this much you just need someone to just give them that push and that is what we do with the coalition close skill gap in terms of training and provide mentorship and everything is free for our members. You just have to be by pool uh, to join. How does,
1: how does the curriculum go down? Like, do you somebody applies they say, yeah, I want to be a better web designer or help me with this web design thing. Is there just like a set course or do you have like a, an accelerator where for like 90 days you'll be meeting every other week or something like that?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what, that's kind of what we have with the mentorship. Mentorship is the one way we close skill gap is you sign up Right now, the problem is we have more people applying for help than people who are applying to provide support. So in a perfect world, you sign up and then you get paired with someone who is an expert. Maybe you're a developer or we don't have developer. So let's use SEO. Maybe you're SEO. Then you sign up and you get paired with someone who is an expert who has been doing this for a few years. And then you tell your mentor, this is where I have issues right now. Can you teach me these skills? And then your mentor starts to walk you through the process starts to guide you through to close the skill gap mentorship is basically what you need it to be if it's training you're looking for on closing skill gaps or stuff you don't know that's what your mentor is going to provide for you if you're trying to upskill, if you're trying to charge more and increase your earnings that is the support your mentor is going to provide they are basically going to provide the support Mm. that you need
1: so you have a huge need for mentors for this for this project, I'd imagine. Yes. What does the yes. What does that process yes. look like? You want to apply to be a mentor. Is there a certain credential? Yeah, that's
0: just yeah, that's just a the form. That's just a form you fill, and then we we evaluate the form. Usually, we just look at your LinkedIn profile to see your qualifications, where you've worked in. We just want to make sure that you have the expertise to be guiding someone as we're providing that support that they need, which is usually going to be upskilling. We want to make sure you have the skills to teach someone else. Basically, that's it. Once we can verify that, we pair you with a mentee and then you meet once a week for four weeks. Once a week for...
1: Yeah, okay, okay, there it is. Yeah, Yeah, one hour a week for four
0: weeks, yes. And then some mentors decide to keep providing that support based on what their mentees need past the four four, weeks duration.
1: Now, is the mentor... um, responsible for coming up with what he or she might be uh, doing everything for that month. Yes.
0: Yes. 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 It's up to the mentor to decide how they're going to be teaching for that one month period. Uh,
1: Freelancecoalition.org. Definitely check that out. You know, another, just hearing you explain it and and hearing how it all goes down, there's a a nonprofit organization called uh, Big Orange Heart, uh, which is, uh, mental health and wellness for freelancers—it's very big in the WordPress space. Uh, that would be a great. Uh, here we are live, just like networking <laughs> or recording anyway. Networking this. Uh, big orange bigorangeheart.org or bigorangeheart.org. It's either a bigorangeheart.org or bigorangeheart.org. Um, fantastic! Another fu- foundation that I, I would say you would link up with because there's a lot of folks on that side who would nice. both become a mentor yeah, or. Them. Uh, Even the mentors in A Big Orange Heart, I could see them saying, oh, I need help with copywriting or design stuff. Let me go apply over here. There's definitely a nice uh, cross-pollination there. So uh, I would definitely recommend them. And I could always uh, introduce you if you need it.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, sure.
1: Any other ways? We got uh, a little sidetracked, but I meant to ask, are there any other ways to improve one's... um, Recurring revenue. Uh, you do courses. Do you do anything else um, that would help with the recurring revenue side of things or anything that you would give advice to?
0: I think as you build authority and then you start to grow your follower base, you'll probably start getting requests from brands asking you to promote their stuff for them or do sponsored content. So that's also a good way to get recurring revenue, doing sponsored content yeah. for brands. works especially, especially when you have like, a medium to large size following. That's, that's influencer, influencer marketing. So
1: yeah, there's, yes. um man, there's so many different ways that one could, I mean, people could also do, you do the course, you could, one could start up a YouTube channel. Uh, one could start up a podcast, um, you know, in charge for a subscription to a podcast or try to monetize through either affiliates or, um, you know, ads on YouTube. That would probably be a longer game, but it's certainly a viable thing that one could do. Uh, Chima, one final question or one final set of questions. Do you love or hate WordPress <laughs> over your years of using WordPress? Is it
0: your favorite? Oh, no, definitely. Uh, that's the thing. I, I can't wait against anything else because WordPress is the only thing I've ever used. So there's nothing else to wait against. The Initially, I there was a period where I was struggling considering leaving WordPress because the security was just trash. I was getting my my account was getting hacked, and then I will be kicked out of my WordPress account. <laughs> it was ridiculous. You're like this is my website. Like, damn
1: it, let me.
0: <laughs> yeah, like it it it, it was ridiculous, just ridiculous. Someone 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 was always trying to hack my website. It's 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 just crazy. But it's better now. At least I haven't been hacked in the past year. So hopefully, it stays that way. I think they've they've done a lot to improve security, on the platform. Because there was a time when everybody used to be scared to update WordPress or to update a plugin, because sometimes that was that was how these hackers used to get in. So many different ways hackers were getting in back then, but it's so much better now. So kudos to WordPress for improving security. I hope it keeps better, getting better because that's always been the biggest concern yeah. with WordPress, yeah. security.
1: Um, when we chatted in our pre-interview a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, you mentioned that some of your higher-end clients... Uh, they don't use WordPress. They have their own homegrown thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. that's just the the, the nature uh, of, of big enterprise business. Like, we all love WordPress. We yeah, love yeah, everyone yeah, to well. use it. But unfortunately, you know, hey, they made their CMS. It works for them. Stop trying to use WordPress in every situation. That, I guess that's a fair statement.
0: Definitely, definitely, definitely. I, none of my big name clients use WordPress or any any of this commercial um, CMS, they build it in-house because that way they have all the control. They can build in all these awesome security features inside. I think you get to a stage and then you shouldn't be using WordPress at that stage. As an enterprise, big enter- enterprise company, you should definitely be considering building your own solution in-house, most yeah. definitely.
1: And, and aside from the technology, uh, what I'm interested uh, for, for you to to illustrate, if you've seen this yourself, but I'd imagine it's like publication workflow. We want to make sure before this blog post goes live that seventeen people have seen it and signed off on it. Is that, is that do you see that? Is that a big thing in in the bigger spaces? Like it has to work through a chain of approval? No, no,
0: I, I, no, 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 no. Hopefully, I I hear I hear I see stories on LinkedIn where some someone has even said that there was a flow of 40 people that had to approve the content. <laughs> I, I had a client like that last year, actually. It was crazy. It was a big enterprise as client, and I shit you not, there were 32 people editing the content. 32 people on a Google Doc. By the time they were done, the content had changed so much, barely none of the original stuff I wrote was in there. <laughs> And that was the last time I worked with a client like that. Right now, I, I love the kind of clients I work with. I insist on one contact person. One, not two, not three, one contact person. And then I work with the person, finish the work, hand it off to them. Whatever they choose to do with it from that point on, it's up to them, but I'm only working with one person. It kind of makes it easier to manage or else It just becomes yeah. insanity. And again,
1: you start building up the confidence, the portfolio your pitch is getting better, you're real precise with what you offer, and those types of conversations are are much easier versus like somebody who doesn't have that confidence yet, they jump into it and they're like, okay, I'll talk to, I'll talk to those 42 people, right? I, I mean, and that's yes, the worst definitely. thing you can do for yourself.
0: <laughs> definitely, 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 definitely. The moment you start getting better, you can start insisting and you can start sticking to it. For example, like I had a client that, that wanted to add me to their company, Slack. Your company, Slack, that has the company has like thousands of employees. Why do you want to add me to the Slack? And then I'll be on a Slack channel with the content marketing team and the SEO team. That's the many people to be talking to. That would mean that I'll be receiving feedback from everybody. I said no. And then she was trying to explain why it's important. And I stuck to it and I said no. I'm only going to report to you. And in the event that you go and leave, then you pick one person to replace you. And then when you come back and leave, yeah, you take control again. But I would never ever put myself in a situation where I'm reporting to multiple people on a project. Never.
1: I love it. I, I, uh, I too, want to be able to say no more often. Uh, maybe if I ever go back to uh, running my own agency, I'll do that again. But probably not. i never go back to an agency. Jesus, Matt, what are you thinking? You'll never do that Never do that again. Oh, gosh. Chima, this has been an amazing conversation. Zenithcopy.com. You can get the course by going to zenithcopy, zenithcopy.com slash shop. It's in the menu. Yes, yes. Uh, freelancecoalition.org. Definitely check that out apply uh, get help or become a mentor become a mentor uh please uh chima anything else that you would like to vo- to send folks to to say thanks uh
0: no that's it that's it you've cleared that's everything thank you so much matt
1: uh, everyone else matreport.com matreport.com slash subscribe to join the mailing list and we'll see you in the next episode